You never know what you'll learn with better buddies. Hello, and welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week, we've got James. Hello. And Calvin's finally come up with a username I can't even make fun of because I can't pronounce it. Aha. Uh-huh. What script I mean, is that in? Uh, yes. I mean, it reminds me of Arabic, that or Indian. It, it does look like Arabic, but I don't know that it is because it's under the category um, for currency symbols. Oh. But, it, but it's actually two symbols that then combined like how Arabic does because I it's the second one like modifies the first was yeah and like the first one I entered is now on the right as opposed to the left and Arabic writes from right to left so I don't know if it has something to do with mid I assume then it's Middle Eastern but it's under currency symbols and I thought it looked neat that's pretty neat continuing our yeah, trend it's... of visual jokes with your name yay it's, it's either Arabic or it's Farsi is it Farsi? Well, it's a Middle Eastern language, though, right? It is a Middle Eastern. Farsi is technically Persian. Arabic Ooh. comes from, like, Arabia, which I'm assuming yeah, I is, like, so. the actual Saudi Arabian region. Um, the Ra- the peninsula. What is it? It's called the Arabian. It's called the peninsula. Arabian Peninsula. Yeah. Yeah. Language. Words. Our things. Better Buddies Icebreaker. Continue. Okay. <laughs> Our Better Buddies Icebreaker this week. What book character changed changed your life the most, and why? Oh wow! Mm. I'm a cheat because it's certainly not cheating. Uh, I pick Spider Man. Okay, yeah. comic book, but also B. There are novels that Spider Man is in, and thus he is a book character. Any <laughs> comic book counts. I would say that counts. Yeah, it's got word book in it. Yeah. Yeah, me. What, what does Spider Man do in the novelizations? Uh, it's a lot of the same shit. But Whatever because a spider it's can. Written compared to the panel, like comic ah. books, because of their like length and you have to condense the panels and like you can account for space. They only have so much space, right? So they can only tell tell so much in terms of like B plots and side stories. Where like, yeah, Spider Man is known for having the human problems, but even the human problems are very much Peter centric. Because, you know, they can't, like, if they're trying to run Peter problems, it's going to be he's fighting a villainous Spider-Man, and he's having a relationship problem with MJ, or a family problem with Aunt May. Like, he's going to have one human problem at a time, because they just don't have the space for it. But one novel I have, in particular, does a really good job of, like, he's Spider-Man, so he's trying to deal with this supervillain that came back and is causing trouble, and... MJ has a play that she's in that's off, off, off Broadway, but, like, it's a good thing for her and helping her resume and, like, the stress of the travel on that, their relationship. And a guy his Aunt May knows who had some, like, medical issues isn't getting paid out by a health insurance company, and because Peter works for the Daily Bugle, May is asking Peter, like, hey, can you help kind of cover this and promote it and bring some attention to this issue and help... Uh, help them, like, set up a demonstration. So, 
And in, like, a comic book, it'd be fight the villain and the MJ thing. But, like, it's really cool. He, as Peter, is, like, there making sure they get the paperwork done. But then as Spider-Man, like, calls in a favor to a cop he helped out of, like, hey, listen, I know it's short notice, but we need to get these permits to have this demonstration in front of this building. Can you make it out in this person's name? Appreciate it. So it's, it's, a, it's very much that, like, because it's a novel, they have a little bit more room to balance some of those A plot, B plot, C plot, and dig into a little bit more of the internal monologue. I was going to say, you probably definitely get a little bit more interiority in a book than you would in, like, a comic book, which is probably a little... That's probably kind of interesting. That helps with, like, character building and stuff like degree. that. To a degree. A lot of it, again, it's mostly just you have more room for it compared from, like, a 20-page comic book compared to a... 500 page novel right no yeah that totally that makes sense it is the one thing though that sucks about like book books is like it's very hard to there's no way you could ever translate like the type of action that's in like a comic book um Um, to a novel like you can but it's it doesn't it's it's gonna feel more like fluid it won't feel as kind of like cinematic yeah I, mean, I mean maybe it could maybe it I, I, could I would but argue yeah. counterpoint though we have the, like is maybe not the best counterpoint but we got star wars novelizations there's novelizations of everything and like the fantasy novels where they do fighting all the time in fantasy novels and it's not cinematic in the same way so i don't think it's i think it's you're right that it's definitely different but i wouldn't call it a problem that's fair it's very charitable what about you guys? <laughs> I've got a few answers potentially, but but I'll go with a more recent one, and I'm not even trying to be like edgy here Uh-oh. at all. Um, so so brace yourselves. Um, oh. Oh no! I just got caught. Um, what do you fuck. Mean got <laughs> I, I I like thought I had one, but another one came in. Um, what are you cheating on book characters with other book characters? Kind of. Yeah, that's what it feels just... like. Um, Damn, James. I would I would probably honestly have to say. Uh, You're really dying over this decision. I am. I would have to say Hunter S. Thompson. Um, really? In Floating Las Vegas, uh, which is a very me answer. Uh, fun fact, my the uh, the other answer I was waffling between uh, was the devil in Paradise Lost, which I think is an amazing epic poem that everyone should read at one point. Um, but I'm going to choose Hunter S. Thompson because I technically read this book first. Um, and really altered like i had never read a book it's funny i was just talking i was just talking to you about how like movies uh, like a book can't really capture something that's like cinematic i think fear and loathing at least in some of the opening pages does i i don't i've only read the book once and i don't really think um it's very interesting it's very fun to read um but i do think it loses steam probably after they initially get to the 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 kind of main event after they get to Vegas, um, okay. but there are some interesting scenes. But Thompson himself, like, it's just such a fascinating fusion of like, um, 
both fiction and actual like journalism. Like you can't call it an autobiography because he's not writing about his life necessarily in the sense of like a reflection. Um, you can't call it entirely fiction because it's something he actually did. And he like, you don't know what parts of the book are actually like real in the, in the fiction. So it's real from real life. It, it, it is. Well, it's what, it's what's called. Um, if you ever hear this term, we'll do a little vocab. It's what's called gonzo journalism, um, which is something that he came up with, which was basically the idea that the reporter should literally insert themselves like into a story that the only way to do it, to report on a story was like, if there was a race going on, like he's going to go report on a motorcycle race in Las Vegas. And he literally, he hires someone to take him like into the race. Like he felt like that was the only way for him to accurately report on the story. And Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, well, it's obviously known as like, oh, it's like the drug movie um, or the drug book. And it is dealing with that. But really what Thompson says he's setting out to to report on is the state of the American dream. He wants to discover the American dream and he goes to Las Vegas to do it. And the book basically becomes a reckoning with like the fallout of um, the 60s because it takes place, I think, in like the later 60s uh, to maybe even like just on the cusp of the 70s. And it's him like reckoning like what happened, where we go wrong, like we had all this stuff going for us, and then it all kind of fell apart. Um, and it's him basically trying to sort of like what is it actually what was america at the point in time what did that even mean like what do i think about all this like what would people what is the country right now um okay. and how did this affect was. you uh because i just never read anything like that before it's like a fascinating idea of like combining so many different levels of like fiction and reality all in one and there are plenty of other people who have done this like you can make the case of the devil and Paradise Lost is an example of that, or a Shakespeare character. But Thompson I mean, is, is the also character. what Kerouac did. Yeah, it's exactly what Kerouac did. Yeah, yeah. Like Thompson is almost like a strung out version of like a Kerouac type. He's like a beat guy that was like left behind. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's a really interesting. It's a it's a very and because it's so like initially in your face and exaggerated, I think it's actually almost a perfect tool to teach kind of character work which has been going on in fiction for a very very long long time to people like to younger people because it's kind of adolescent and it's easy to get into and then you can kind of teach them about like yeah like this is this was a real guy but he also kind of wasn't blah 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 so really really interesting book and uh really great character nice calvin uh I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've read a lot of memorable book characters. I don't know that I could point to one and say that it's changed or affected my life in any way. The entire Wheel of Time series is screaming at you. Yeah, but I don't know that I've like, there's characters that I like, but I don't know that I would, I, I don't think I would say that they've changed my life in any way, that I'm not taking any big lessons from these characters and like, would, Stuff like that. Would it help if I rephrased as probably what your favorite book character is? Because I think even just identifying a favorite, at least kind of, I don't know how much it would like directly affect, but I think that subconscious thing still would affect like your life and how you as a person are. 
Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, I guess if you're just going to ask for, like, characters that I like, uh, I mean, like you said, Wheel of Time then comes to mind. Um, some of my favorite characters in Wheel of Time would have to be, uh, I mean, if you're going to go for the obvious ones, everyone in the, every, everyone in the Wheel of Time group loves Matt, um, Matt Cawthon. He's a very beloved character, but beyond like, what? Why is he beloved? Uh, he's like one of those like rascally rogue type characters Ah. who's, who's like, good he's got like a good heart but he's like he's like he he's like kind of like the playboy character he likes to drink go to bar, um taverns and like he's the iron uh, man and picks and yeah and then um but then he's also like uh he he throughout the entire series just like i'm not a hero and he's adamant about not being a hero but obviously he is one um and yeah, and I don't want to get into too much spoilers yeah. because later stuff, but like, yeah, so there's like later stuff that happens that people love. Um, though I would have to say other, one of my other favorite characters in Wheel of Time is Tall Mains, who's Matt's right-hand man. Who's <laughs> So he's like he's like this minor side character, but he's freaking awesome. Uh, he deserves much more Why? time. Uh, I don't know. Again, he's like he's got this like super dry humor that uh, just doesn't get brought out enough, and he's kind of like a foil to Matt at some time uh, at points. Uh, kind of that like super competent assistant, like um, to an extent. He's also like he just puts up with Matt a lot, <laughs> and he's just kind of like a normal dude. And then Matt's like this kind of crazy eccentric rogue guy who's okay. like the leader. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it qualifies. But I might also piggyback a bit off James's and talk about, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I got hair in my mouth. Yeah. You gotta cut um, my beard. Trim. My, my beard is not that long. This is just hair from my head because my hair is that long. Um, so close to being able to put it up. Uh, anyways, uh, Lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, um, James went the like uh, Hunter S. Thompson. I d- I would also probably put out uh, Kerouac. Um, I still haven't quite finished on the road. I'm super close. I'm like I'm on like the last part, and I'm getting close to ending it. I'm finishing it. James, you really need to read it. Um, I've read the first. I think I've gotten the first thirty or forty pages. I feel really bad because I've had that book since last summer. Yeah, because we were gonna read it, and then we were gonna. Do a review of it. it. Yeah. Um, Finish it. Uh, But no, I would I would say Kerouac, but not for a a lot of people. I feel like misunderstand, like or take the wrong. I guess not misunderstand, but take the wrong message from Kerouac because a lot of what Kerouac talks about is like examples of why you shouldn't do it, Uh. (laughs) and like why the life that he's leading is like flawed. I'm not going to say wrong, but flawed i think is the right answer problems. for that yeah and you just have to understand like the stuff that he deals with is the consequences of his actions and the life he leads even though it at times sounds like it would be nice yeah that's fair our next segment 
which is kind of a repeat of the last segment if you really want to twist it around that much. But uh, our next segment being Better Buddies Recommend, where we recommend a piece of media to enjoy. I'm going to start this week. I recommend Moon Knight. Finally got on that train like a month or two late. Yeah. Well, yeah, now it's all out, so you can just binge it. Yeah, I did. There you go. Very nice. Um, I thought that Oscar Isaac, it's Oscar Isaac, right? Pretty sure. Yep. Yeah, he did a great job with the, like, both, not just Acting, in, like, the yeah. voice distinction between, like, the different personalities of Mark Spector and Grant Stevens, but also the, like, facial expressions and body posture of, like, because, heads up, Moon Knight is a superhero with split personality. And one of, depending on the writer, sometimes better, sometimes worse depictions of it. Um, but in the show... Mark Spector is hunched over, like, he'll tilt his head down a little bit, so there's always a little bit of shadow over his eyes. He gets very serious and grim-faced, and, like, he'll narrow his eyes a little bit more, just to, like, give this haunted, angry, fighty, wiry texture. And, like, the shoulders are hunched forward a little bit, ready to fight. Uh, But when he's Stephen Grant, the softer, gentler British individual... He stands up a little bit straighter, so he's more open. He his, tilts his head up a little bit more, so again, there's more light, more eye. His eyes are wider, more innocent. So even beyond just, like, the intonation of the two different characters, he does a lot of very physical body work to indicate the differences. So even before they talk, you can see the difference. And overall, the story did was pretty good. And I think it... One of the things that came up as it was going on, was the, like, hey, this isn't really connected to the rest of the MCU. Like, yeah, it's in the MCU, but they're not name-dropping people. And, yeah, it was good for that. Like, I don't know who they would have name-dropped on purpose, because they're not in any of the areas where anybody else is. They're in London, where, yeah, okay, I guess some Eternals were there, but, like, timeline-wise, it doesn't make sense to name-drop any of them. And the closest it might have gotten is that he was, he worked for a time at a mall, like a museum gift shop. But like, even then it's like, okay, there's more than one museum. So it's not guaranteed it's the same one. And then he goes to Egypt and nobody's in Egypt. So it's all cool. Apocalypse is in Egypt. Apocalypse is in Egypt, who was also Oscar Isaac, but different universe. Oh crap, that is Oscar Isaac. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, I, I... I gave the first two episodes of that a shot. I would 100% agree with Oscar Isaac's acting. From the little that I saw, it was pretty impressive. Uh, personally, I just... I, I might go back and finish it. I thought it was interesting. It's only six episodes. Like, you're all, you're a third of the way through. Oh, well, then I might definitely go back and finish it. Uh, one of the things I think it is worth finishing, though, is Lila's character. Um, she's kind of sidelined a bit, but I think... She... How much do you care about spoilers with her story? Um, I guess I don't care. I guess then warning to those listening that if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, so she, by the end of the series, becomes an... So Moon Knight is an avatar of Khonshu, a god of the moon in the Egyptian mythology, also a god of justice and a protector of travelers. Uh, by the end of the series, in order to kind of help stop the big bad guy... Mark Spector's wife, Lila, becomes an avatar of Tawet, a hippopotamus god of mothers and children. 
Gotcha. Who, that's where the hippo comes from. Yeah. I saw that in the trailers. Yeah, that's where the hippo comes from. But because of the way, like, some of the gods aren't necessarily in play anymore, she's also kind of in charge of the afterlife journey. As opposed to, like, Anubis and Khonshu and uh, the crocodile goddess. So she's kind of, like, filling in. So that's how she kind of gets roped in. And Lila, her... Oh, wow. I just spiked the levels. Lila's whole thing... She kind of becomes like a scarab thing. She's got like a very scarab motif when she gets her powers from being an avatar. So like she needs to get scarab wing things, kind of like falcons, but like underneath her arms. And But I thought she was a much better depiction, or one of the better depictions of the female superhero showing up and being a rocking badass. Of She's got some personality beforehand, we're introduced to her. She has benefits and flaws. She's... Basically, she's written as a person, and then is given superpowers, and is still a person. I think the most on-the-nose thing they do with her as a person with powers is there's one point where, like, a van tips over with a bunch of people in it, and is sliding towards a kid, and she stops the van, and or, but then, like, and then gets a kid out of the way, and the kid looks at her and is like, are you an Egyptian superhero? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's cool! And then they leave. And it's like, oh, I see what you're doing there. There's... People want superheroes of their own identity. That's, yep, we we recognize that. But even still, like, it was that one thing compared to some of the uh, Justice League Wonder Woman sound bites, where she's basically a walking sound bite of you go girl power. <laughs> you talking about? Oh, come on. James, fun fact, James, I don't know if you ever saw Zack Snyder's Justice League, but in the fight against, Dar- against uh, Steppenwolf, there was one point where Steppenwolf says, this one's mine, and Wonder Woman's response to it is, I don't belong to any man. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty, so cool, uh, isn't it? Pretty badass. Um, good old Wonder Woman. Good old Gal Gadot. I wouldn't have minded that line in the movie, but there were a bunch of other ones just as bad as that, where it was like, okay, come on. Anyways, Moon Knight, yeah. I recommend it. Also, Conchu's design was so fun. Do you have yeah, he was pretty neat. In, in in Moon Knight, um, you know, like this would be as far as I'm aware, at least in, for me, like Marvel's already tackled uh, you know, the Norse gods. They yeah. Play, initially they played them obviously as very like Shakespearean, then they toned that down, but they still kept a sort of like um you know, medieval theatrical kind of quasi Shakespearean relationships like a little bit. Um but how do they um you know, obviously, that if these people are avatars, then they don't necessarily represent the gods themselves. Like they're not the gods themselves, in you know, necessarily. Yeah. Like, how do they approach the aesthetic and the look and the tone of the Egyptian gods? How, is so it the Egyptian gods way? appear very much as their like real, like the depictions in mythology. So similar to yeah. compared to the MCU as Guardians, where they're kind of like it's like you take the mythology and you scale it up to a little bit more medieval Shakespeare polished etc for the Egyptian Mm -hmm. mythology they stuck as far as I'm aware with my very limited Egyptian knowledge they stuck pretty close to like depictions of from mythology of like Khonshu's a bird skull with a body and the alligator woman is an alligator woman and it's all very it's at least very modeled after ancient Egypt compared to the almost like Dungeons and Dragons fantasy level of the Asgardian gods. Okay. 
and the avatars can like see and converse with their gods. So like they aren't the gods, but they are ha- they're imbued with power from their god and will see and hear their god talking to them and chatting with them and telling them like punish this person. Interesting. I like that design. Um, I really do, actually. Yeah. I posted a picture of Konchu for James to look at. The Konchu, Konchu, whatever. Little hard eyes. <laughs> um, wow. But yeah, and I think it's... I hope they do another season. Partially because they tease... Because one of the things with uh, Moon Knight is that he technically has three person, like three main personalities. And they only display two of them throughout most of the season. So it's kind of like, oh, let's get to that third one. But if they didn't, I think it was still pretty good. Oh, yeah. Who would like to go next? Uh, I got sidetracked. Hey, RJ, here you go. Here's a 3D model of Kanju. Oh, nice. Um, He's a Funko. Mr. 3D Printer Man. Uh, I I can go. What you got go for it? Um, I will also rep that Disney for this week, and that I watched the first two episodes of Obi Wan. Same. Uh, I have not watched today's episode. Same. I will watch that after this. But uh, yeah, peek behind the curtain. This is a Wednesday. Um, but. Yeah, I I don't know. I was really digging the first two episodes of Obi Wan. Maybe it's just Ewan McGregor being back. Freaking love him. Uh, he's fantastic. I thought he did a great job of portraying Obi Wan dealing with everything after the <laughs> the war and like Order sixty six and all that stuff. Um, I I've yeah I've just been it felt like again it could have been just the Ewan McGregor because I grew up with the prequels say what you will about them they'll always have a place in my heart just because I watched those so many times as a kid growing up yep um and as flawed as they are I think they're great kid movies um so I yeah I have an attachment to them and thus Ewan McGregor so I thought Ewan McGregor back in Star Wars was fantastic i'm excited to see hayden christensen as vader did you hear um, who the voice of vader is i did not it's james earl jones oh it is interesting i kind of would have appreciated a hayden christensen voicing of him um just because i think then it could because he's a younger yeah vader so i think and i i just wanted hayden christensen to and I like have a chance again. I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> they could be uh, doing like uh, they could be like mixing the voices to make it more of that transition. It could be. I yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Um, but either way, um, I've been enjoying the story so far. I think it's a bit interesting. I'm in- interested to see where it goes with it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I I've just. Uh, I've enjoyed it so far, so I would recommend the um, the Obi Wan series. It's got it's got the guy that played um, Owen from yeah. the prequels as well. It's got like all of the prequel actors back. The guy that played Owen, the guy that played uh, Bail Organa. It's got um, basically anybody that had a character in the prequel films 
is back reprising their role. I think one of the things yeah. that really helps with the series too is all these actors are like what fifteen Age years decently. older now. <laughs> like, yeah. So like, like it's the series takes place ten years after the events of the third film, and that was like, oh, I mean, for, for filming wise, that's getting close to twenty years now, which is scary, isn't that's it? Not- because yeah. like when did revenge i think revenge 2005 so yeah. it's the i mean in three years so it's 17 years, years ago 17 years ago it came out and it was probably filmed in 2004 so yeah because it came out on like father's ago. day in 2005 uh i thought it was the i am i guess it was probably i only know that because no may 15th drive, oh well damn it uh worldwide may 19th yeah i thought it was in may because all of the Star Wars before released in May. Oh, see, um, I would have sworn up and down it was Father's Day because I have a movie poster that like theaters were handing out that said, Who's Your Daddy? <laughs> With Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Um, but yeah, either way, um, relatively, like with a touch-up from Hollywood makeup, they've pretty much aged perfectly the amount that the, the in-universe has. So um, they fit great and... Yeah, I mean, it's Star Wars. Question. It's great. Based on just these first two Answer. episodes. Daily Double. Uh, what do you think about the fact that they're not focusing on Luke? I mean, I feel like that makes sense because um, Luke can't know anything about him being special. Yeah. Because he doesn't know anything about him being special. Um, I mean, he literally, like, I, I, I think... Uh, Obi-Wan can encounter Luke because Luke knows of Ben. Um, he recognizes him by sight and knows him by name. So he's he's going to... He, like, they could meet at some point. But other than that, like, Luke doesn't... lives Has lived an entirely quiet life, pretty much, on Tatooine. So Obi-Wan can't interact with him. Yeah. I would argue... And if he does, I think that'll, like, affect the story negatively. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's neat that they're focusing on the other twin, and but you the way you described the like why they really can't meet beyond just like hello, I'm Ben, goodbye. Um, that just made me really want a comedy series where Obi Wan spends like five years of his life just encircling their moisture farm, keeping anything weird from happening. <laughs> Hey, we don't know that's not gonna happen. I mean, fair. Oh, I'm just okay. picturing like I mean, this is only Boba ten years. Fett. There's another. There's another 10 years before uh, New Hope, so or like True. seven years. So how old is he? Uh, New Hope? 19. 17, 18, uh, 19, I think 19? He's either 19 or like 17. It's one of the two. Yeah, it's Luke in New Hope. I just age. remember, the only reason I remember that is because there's a 19. meme. Yeah, there's a meme where at 19, his father was a Jedi, his mother was a senator, and at 19, Luke is sitting in his garage making swoosh noises with a spaceship. Yep. <laughs> Which is the spaceship Obi-Wan had. Uh-huh. Damn. No, there's a lot of little callbacks and references to other stuff. Um, there's a lot of references to Rebels, because Rebels is um, close to happening at this yeah. point, I believe. I don't know the timeline of, of the Rebels show, but I think it's within the next couple years in in universe having not seen rebels does um, it lead up to the rebellion or into the rebellion i believe it leads 
into up to i've only seen like the first season okay um i don't remember but i i if i believe the rebellion doesn't fully exist at the start of rebels and it's kind of them at the founding of the rebellion and and then it leads through i believe it leads through the uh, the events of the original trilogy um i think there's like a flash forward or something like that I don't know. I don't remember. Um, so Rebels has to be coming up here soon. And I know there's some references with like the Grand Inquisitor and stuff because it's yeah. the same person that's in Rebels and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I I think this show has been pretty good. Um, I don't know why for no real good reason. I never got into The Mandalorian. Just didn't. I should give it another shot. You really should. But I... I I've been got. I've been pulled into this one. So nice. Does this say John Favreau production? Um, I actually or don't know. Did he not do if it's this? not, that's probably why I like it. Wow! Oh, damn. John not only is John Favreau. Forward. It's just I feel like I've just been overwhelmed with him, and I'm like, yeah, it's um, directed by Deborah Chow. Oh, why don't I recognize the name? Uh, produced by Ewan McGregor, Kathleen Kennedy, and then two other names that I don't know. No, I, I don't think John Favreau has much with this that I can see. Which I honestly do think might be part of the reason that I'm enjoying this so much is because I think John Favreau is just too much in everything nowadays. Really quick, as someone who, uh, in a lot, like I haven't seen the show, and I probably, I probably won't end up watching it. What is the like personality of Obi Wan at this point? Like, what is their kind of like take on him? Because it's an interesting uh, point in his life. Yeah, so he's very sad and dejected because like of the the events he's had to deal with. Like he, he lost everyone that he's ever known. He feels like a failure. He's dealing with the uh guilt of uh what happened with anakin and yeah survivor's guilt and also the fear of protecting luke at all costs um but they really Hmm. do emphasize the like he is done like the the events of the series are his one last job because yes he the, the inquisitors are hunting down a jedi it's not even him they're hunting down a different jedi and the Jedi finds... Spoilers, open. RJ. Eh, Spoilers. Whatever. James isn't going to watch it. <laughs> yes, but I'm, you can warn the listeners. It's been <laughs> out for a few days. It's been... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. Well, apparently blanket spoilers for Obi-Wan because RJ just has no regard late. for you, listener, and is just going to spoil everything. Uh, if they don't want to listen, they can turn off the podcast. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to keep listeners. Just uh, I apologize, way. listeners. See, um, he doesn't even care about you. I do. Somebody has to. That's um, why I'm the real host of this. The secret host. Shadow host. So this young Jedi boy. goes to Obi-Wan and is like, it's you, we gotta fight back, what's the plan? And Obi-Wan's like, you fucking idiot, go bury your lightsaber in the sand and never speak to me again, get off this rock. <laughs> oh that's interesting obi-wan is a grumpy old man or not a grumpy old man but a grumpy like 
soon to be old man. Do they have a hint at him? Uh, I know in other expanded universe stuff, they've talked about how he was, um, he would have regular correspondences with Qui-Gon. They hinted at that at all. Or they're um, they're still building into that. I think the only okay. mention is literally in the first like minute of the show. They do a they re go over ex- like Order sixty six, and some that of the was events, dope. Which that was dope, so dope. But it confused me for a moment. <laughs> I was like, wait, did I click the right thing? <laughs> um, I, I didn't find it confusing. I just I thought it was awesome. Honestly, they do like a clip show kind of deal of the pre- of the prequel trilogy as like an reminder of like hey this is all that happened and this is like all this stuff kind of made me want to go back and watch all the prequels um and then they showed a sequence from inside the jedi temple during order 66 and i was like okay this is awesome worth noting though one of the clips they do show in that is yoda talking to obi-wan and telling him oh i have some training for you you're gonna learn to commune with your old master yeah because that's like one of the last scenes in the third movie Interesting. All right. And they did touch on that in the animated Star Wars The Clone Wars. Oh, really? As well. Yeah, because that's in the uh, Lost episodes. Ah. That um, the, there was like six episodes they released on Netflix before they did the final season on Disney+. Plus. There were like six episodes, and three of those last episodes involved... Um, Yoda going on this weird like force spirit journey and that's where he yeah. uh figures out this whole like communing with people after they've died. Cool. I'm glad you brought up Obi-Wan cuz I really wanted to talk about it, but we have one more recommendation to get through and James, what you got for us? Um I was going to do something else, but you guys talking about Star Wars kind of reminded me of this. Um so over the last weekend, uh, I'm very lucky. The place where I live, they had the the local theater, this event where they put on a movie in the park um, next to where the theater is, and uh, they're doing it like every weekend. Yeah, it's 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 gonna be pretty neat. First movie they kicked it off with was Star Wars, the original Star Wars, nice. A New Hope. Nice. Um, been forever since i've seen this movie um like forever was uh, if you guys if any you two or if anyone here ever has the chance to go see this movie outside absolutely recommend it um it's awesome because i could uh sit there and watch the film i could go over to the concession stand order a beer and a popcorn i could go across the street and smoke a cigarette i could still see hear everything (laughs) um so it was a truly unique theater going experience um, the film itself is so unbelievably fun, obviously. Um, really cool, too, because you could hear it um, like echoing through the town, and the park is right by the main thoroughfares, which was actually relatively quiet, but every time someone would drive by and see it, it was, it's right on an intersection by a stoplight. Whenever they were stopped, you would see everyone who was driving just like turn their heads, and they'd be like mm-hmm. watching uh, the movie as well. Some of them would be like, so into it that the light would turn and it'd be like three or four seconds before they realized it had turned and then they they drive off. But I recommend uh, Star Wars A New Hope. Um, I will say uh, it is funny after so many years of having not seen it, like going back and watching it and just seeing original sort of germ 
to where all this like stuff came from. Uh, and it really is just kind of a like rinky dink science fiction movie that is just so unbelievably charming. Um, there's like some of the stuff with like costumes and sets that's like, like, ah, that looks a little iffy. I mean, um, after they get out of the trash pit, Luke's hair is completely dry and well done, so. <laughs> but... no. Yeah, and like, there's, uh, there's stuff like, there's certain lines, like, Vader, one of Vader's, like, first lines when he's, like, walking around the Tanzan Four, like, talking about the rebel plans is like, I have to find the princess because she'll give me the plans to their secret base. And it's like, wow, that is like George Lucas dialogue to like a team. <laughs> um, I love it. But yeah. that's the thing is like, it, it's like, it's so wonderfully simple. It really is like a fable or a fairy tale. I also forgot how much humor was in a star <laughs> Wars movie. Um, forget completely like there's one one of the opening moments had me like really laughing out loud where it's like a c3po and r2d2 and they're in the middle of the firefight it's like the you know the rebel soldiers and the stormtroopers and they're all and they're firing each other right through the middle of it. walk right like right through <laughs> and i was like that's actually like really funny that's like a really good joke have you seen um, any of the like knockoffs that came out trying to capitalize on the fame of star wars like where there are a bunch of knockoff oh, like science fiction. Movies. There were a shit ton, and the the only one I know you can easily get access to is the movie Star Crash because MST3K did it on Netflix, and it is so yeah. obvious how much they want to be Star Wars, and it it is such a good contrast on yeah Star Wars is kind of rinky dink and campy and charming, but they put a lot of effort into their effects. Oh my yeah. god, yeah, like, the actual, the, the Death Star run still looks pretty fucking great. Um, yeah, it all holds up pretty decently. Yeah, the, the actual sets, like, most of the, 95% of the sets, like, look just so good. Um, still very unique and inventive and original, um, especially when they go to a place like my like Moss Eisley, where the puppeteers and the, and the you know, kind of set designers really get to show off. Craft rather um, than two stop motion, very very badly constructed robots that look like they're made of bike yeah. chains. <laughs> but like, even I'm not gonna lie, like very corny. But one, like one, seeing that theme come on, like in a park, like an open park full of people, was like great. I honestly like, I did, I teared up like a little bit. I don't know why, but at the very opening shot, it, like pans down. And then, um, you know, it goes to the stars and there's the little like lilting theme and then the orchestra swells and you see the Tantive Four and then the orchestra really swells um, as it's like running away and we see what it's running away from and it's the Star Destroyer, which is like super fucking big and long and takes up like almost the entire screen. And so many people have talked about like this opening shot, but I'll talk about it. And it's like, it's so great. We get our entire conflict, our whole good versus evil in like 10 seconds and not a word has to be said um, between both the music and the visuals oh yeah I, you do i did forget too how much of a part the music plays in the action of star wars like how much of it truly is like operatic and like characters movements are almost choreographed um to it and it really does, does add something also obviously the cast is great camel great is kind of a whiny but endear uh, like endearing teenager 
Uh, Harrison Ford, what can you not say? He's fantastic. I wish, I wish he killed. Uh, I wish she, I do wish he shot first. <laughs> um, yeah, right. should, have, should have happened. Would have made him way like he's already he's already cool. So, but uh, Al Guinness, wonderful. Uh, um, an old man who took a young man to a bar. Hey, he's you know he's got a good reason. So um, you can't. You don't know the me. drinking age in Tatooine. Ace? I assume the recent one. It's Tatooine. Exactly. So it's fine. No underwear and no drinking laws in space. There's no underwear in space. (laughs) Two major rules. Carrie Fisher, um, just completely brilliant. Always lovely to see. All the sporting actors, great. Um, Just a a wonderful, all-round, inventive, unique film. Um, And if you do have the chance to see it in a theater, whether it's outdoors or not, I highly recommend it. I will say this one last thing. it was not the original cut. It was oh, yeah. the like remaster. Very difficult to find nowadays. Yeah, uh, which is somewhat disappointing. Um, it is the sad. remastered, which means it's it's nice. A lot of the shots look really good, but then of course you have to deal with a lot of the George Lucas like shit in the background. Which some of it, honestly, I don't mind. Yeah. Honestly, I really I get what he's going for. I was about to defend just, some of it. Because, like, particularly, I think yeah. some of the intro scenes of Moss Eisley were like, yeah. this is supposed to be a city in a barren wasteland. So, like, yeah, there's going to be more activity in life here. Yeah, and it's like, they're, like, goofy and they're kind of dumb, but it's like, okay, like, a lot of actual Star Wars, like, the Jawas are goofy and dumb. So, like, yeah. people getting on, like, it's like a kid's movie. It's like, it was always kind of like a kid's movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yep. But, yeah, like, I can, I can get still some of the complaints with it it's mainly because it doesn't look very good it looks very out of place it looks like a cut scene from like a playstation 2 um in the middle of like a 1970s like space movie <laughs> but it's more about conveying the idea of what he was going for and in that case i can kind of not excuse it but understand it but uh yeah great film wonderful as always go see star wars yeah nice our next segment how to be a better buddy, where you give some real and some humors. Just kidding, we're about to debate the cube rule of food. I told you to do oh, your homework, yeah. I hope you did. I actually have an idea. Well, I saw this before we signed on. I actually have, uh, I have one, so far, one quibbling notion with this. Quibbling? Do have a quibbling notion. Yes, continue with your quibbling notion. So, by this law, the cube rule theory so sushi is the, something the cube rule that's of food a... is for identifying uh yes. dishes based on the starch locations so sushi by definition is where starch is is around the object in as in like according, you know, the to, four, the cube according to the cube theory four sides covered and then two open ends. um two open ends so, it, are pigs in a blanket sushi? Uh, by this definition. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm okay with this definition. I'd have to... I'd have to... Perhaps we could find a better term. We could call it a wrap, maybe. But I think sushi is too specific. Because um, then a... Yeah, because then a burrito could be sushi. A burrito would be calzone. No, a burrito, burrito doesn't have to be folded on the ends. It should be to help with this, like stability but you are in like holding things in but you can definitely have a burrito without 
the ends folded over. Uh, you show me one, because I've never gone to a restaurant and ordered one and had that happen. I feel like I have. That's... Also, I would argue, though, do- doesn't a burrito is typically cut in half when served? Therefore, then mm. in this, according to this, would then be a soup salad with bread bowl? Uh, depends uh, on the location. Listen, all I want to say is if you Google burrito, all of them have the end open. Because they want to show you what's inside. Exactly. Fine. So that's how you serve it. Hmm. Yeah, but there are restaurants where you, like, I, the most recent burrito. No, I, I got, agree. I agree that there are restaurants that serve it completely closed. But I think you have to admit that it's acceptable to have a burrito that is served with at least one end open. The majority of burritos I acquire are completely closed off. Vast majority, like 99%. I have definitely been to restaurants where they serve the burrito with like cut in half and therefore it's served as two halves with an open end. So I'd argue then, according to this definition, it's a soup salad with Red Bull, It is, which I don't agree. I don't agree with that. (laughs) So according to Wikipedia, which is not the arbiter, but it can be a touchstone, a burrito, blah, 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 is a dish in Mexican Tex-Mex cuisine that took form in California cuisine consisting of a flour tortilla wrapped into a sealed cylindrical shape around various ingredients. So they weren't All right. Burritos. Well, fair enough. Fair, fair enough then. But then I would argue that it's not a calzone still. Why not? Well, for one, I would be more accepting of this if they instead of calzone, they literally put burrito. Because I'd be more accepting of calling a calzone a burrito than I am calling a burrito a calzone. Fair. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's just a misstep on whoever designed this. But um, no, I had a I had another one that I didn't agree with, but now I can't remember what it is. I struggle with the sushi one a little bit, just because like I guess I, I guess I need to double check with our local Japanese expert. Is all sushi surrounded by rice, or is it different if it's like the rice with the fish on top? Uh, sushi is rice. Ah. So sushi rice, that's what it is. Uh, sushi is typi- typically served with a fish or a topping on the rice. But I'd have to, I, I would have to look up the actual definition of sushi. But sushi has to have rice. So it's rice that makes it sushi. Got it. Because if it doesn't have rice, it's if it's just raw fish, that's sashimi. Yeah, knew that. So, so it there isn't actually anything wrapped to begin with. They're probably referencing the seaweed of like nori around it, which in which case they're probably more referencing a sushi roll, yeah. which is a like American invention invention, um, in which it's like a uh, like the seaweed wrapped around it. That's not just sushi. Um, it can be sushi, but like, but it's not guaranteed. Yeah, so that's also, like, whoever designed this did a bad job. (laughs) Because also, if your argument is the location of the starch, no matter what, sushi's not wrapped in starch. (laughs) Yeah. Tempura? (laughs) Uh, I would... I mean, that's a batter that you deep fry. That's starch. Yeah, I know, but I don't know that I would consider that wrapping. I guess it'd be a calzone, And it's not... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. It'd be, again, you're down to the cow. So, so again, if your argument is that if it just has to have starch around it, anything deep fried or breaded is considered a calzone. 
Here's my question. So looking at this chart, mm-hmm. number one is the bottom is starch. That's toast. Number two is yes. the bottom and the top are starch. That's sandwich. Number three is right. the bottom and two side two uh, parallel sides are starch. That's taco. Four is the, like we said, the sushi with the top and bottom and the two parallel sides with the hole in the middle. Five is soup salad with bread bowl where everything oh. but the top is starch. And then six is calzone where all the sides are starch. But they don't right. talk about what if the middle is starch, like cake or a pancake. That is just starch, though. There is no... But it should theoretically, theoretically, according to this, the unifying cube rule theory to settle the is a hot dog a sandwich question, it should be applied to similar food debates, but it does not apply to what defines a cake. And it, I, don't think because, it, I don't think it's enough of the like, this is not definitive enough for me. Yeah, that's because I would argue those break down because you're dealing with one thing. All of these have to do with parts, whereas starch is a part as opposed to the starch is the thing. So except maybe um, the toast, the toast there that argument breaks down, but I don't know. Does that mean donuts or sushi if they've got a hole in the middle? And it's just gonna that say. calzones are so jelly a jelly-filled donut is a calzone. Yes, is your argument? See, no, this rule is dumb. I don't accept this rule. Oh, One, again, I disagree yeah. in a unifying theory. So yeah, I mean, oh, I, why I disagree that? with unifying theory on principle, but also it's annoying Calvin, so I kind of like it. We don't we don't believe in a unifying theory. No. No. There is no one theory that unifies all of existence, James. About just the property of existence itself. And I wouldn't call that a theory, because that's more of a philosophy. Do things exist or do you perceive them to exist? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> then by by that logic, then any theory is a philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I require I require advanced education. The pie a calzone? No, pie would be a soup salad with bread bowl. <laughs> Unless it's got a wow. top and then it's a calzone. Yeah, see this is this is why this is dumb. Uh, no, I like the fact that different foods can hold superpositional states um based on the representation. So wait, would technically pie that has one of those like crisscross op- like tops would it be calzone. both a soup salad and a calzone no no it'd just be calzone there's starch on top oh so if there's any starch on top yeah so if you like Damn, it, if you make a cheesecake with a graham cracker uh, crust I think uh, and then sprinkle more graham crackers on top there's technically starch on both ends it's a sandwich interesting so pizza is toast yes Wow, that, I kind of actually like that idea. Dude, they should make pizza toast. How have they not made They do place. make pizza toast. Pizza toast is a thing. Go to Japan. I, Calvin, I, I have, what kind I, of advice is that? I have a book right here that is all about, I just pulled it down, all about this one man who, it's a collection of his essays as he hiked, as he hiked across Japan going from like old school cafe to cafe and his one dish he always ordered pizza toast but the fuck is it pizza or is it toast all right i'm pulling there's no Uh, photo so i i think our discussion on the unifying cube theory of 
starch food is it's a dumb theory that doesn't actually work and has too many extreme end cases. We should come up with our own theory. Speak up, James. We should come up with our own theory. Uh, my theory we is should... food is delicious and you're trying to unify things that have no unifying factor. Uh, it's more of an aesthetic call. Well, I mean, that's part of the problem, isn't it? Of, like, you're trying to take things... It's the square rectangle thing, right? Of, like, all square, all rectangles are squares. No, sorry, shit. All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. There you go. Yeah. Now you got it. Thank you, Colin, because I took geometry back in freshman year of high school. Um, basically, it's Ooh. the, like, some labels apply to everything. That was only everything. 11 years ago, RJ. Yeah, and some labels apply to Does specific things. <laughs> and some things can have both labels, and some things have one label, and some things have no labels. So, like... Polymorphism. Yes. Technically, you can call a hot dog a sandwich. But it's called a this hot dog. It's commonly thought of as a hot dog. It's specifically a hot dog, so people are going to call it a hot dog. A taco has many similar properties to a hot dog, but it is not a hot dog because of the other things applied to it. Therefore, don't call it a hot dog. Are you making a case for national origins? No, I'm making a case for (laughs) words have meaning and use the right goddamn proper nouns. It's not, just about the, it's not just about the words, correct? Like, it, the words come from somewhere, do they not? Like, hot dogs are frankfurters, technically speaking, and tacos are tacos. Yeah, it's called Sushi. culturalism. Culturalism. That's fair. I, I, I do agree. Yeah, you, you can't I, take foods out of context of their culture, right? Like, they have origin points similar to languages, how they have origin languages and ancestral languages, and, like, the taco we know in America is not quote-unquote, a real taco, and depending on where you go in Mexico, taco doesn't even exist in anything remotely close to what we know it as, but they share a similar origin point and cultural history. Sorry, hair. Um, So, to erase that history and culture is almost the same way of, like, doing so with any other cultural aspect. Like, you, you have, even if it's become something new... Like a taco, like American pizza, like spaghetti and meatballs, like uh, American Chinese right. food, American sushi. Like, yeah, it's not really the original, but to take it out of context and say X, Y, Z about it, it, does, it doesn't do it justice. I would agree. I do find it interesting that something can change so fundamentally, um, but still hold a relatively... Um, grounded origin point. There's still a seed of that original thing in, like, there's a seed somewhere, a spark of the divine taco, the first taco, somewhere, even in the worst. Well, do you know where, do you know the origin story of the American taco? No, I would love that. That sounds like a great album name. (laughs) Um. Uh, A, if you want origin stories on a lot of American food, go watch the Netflix show Ugly Delicious. I've recommended it before on this podcast. It's great because it gets into that history. But shorthand, particularly the, like, Taco Bell taco, is there was a taqueria in wherever Glen Bell is from, and in California, and they had to make tacos based on the resources around them. Like, it was back in 70, 100 years ago or whatever, and so they just, they didn't have the stuff they'd make food with in Mexico, so they're using whatever ingredients they could get their hands on, and cheese and sour cream and lettuce and tomato and the meat 
because that's what they could make, so that's what they made. And Glenn Bell wanted to be the next McDonald's guy, and he liked it so much because he was running a hamburger stand. So he literally went across the street, ate at this restaurant every day until he, like, deconstructed what it was they were doing and fast-foodified it. Fascinating. And a lot of taquerias, the, like, more accurate to uh, Mexican culture ones, popped up because of migrant workers who needed a quick, easy bite. And so they were serving migrant workers who would go over to America, work during the day, and then go home. Which is why it's very much part of the Tex-Mex Southern cuisine. Anyway. Are into this, are we? What? Dude, I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. I think it's so fascinating. It's interesting that, according to Wikipedia, the origins of the taco are not precisely known. Etymologies for the culinary usage of the word are generally theoretical. Yeah. Um, but it does originate from a type of Mexican street food, like a, a common type of both Mexican and Spanish street food. Um, um, and then there, uh, it's also got some uh, Middle Eastern origins to it, too, because particularly in this one area of... I, I don't remember exactly what area of Mexico, but there's this area that basically got settled by a lot of Middle Eastern immigrants who brought over... And I'm, I'm including, like, Greece in that that too to a degree that's right but they brought yeah. over kebabs and donner and like roasting the spit and shaving it off into the pita and again using the materials and the resources and the food stuffs they could get in mexico had made a they almost like convergent evolution wow it's interesting how food has sort of a like an ancestral history like that um do we, uh, Funny how it follows the people. Like, it mixes. Like, the mixture of a food can really genuinely symbolize, like, where a culture converged with another. Oh, absolutely. Um, do we want to <laughs> give any advice this week? Because we're getting... Yeah. I think we did give advice. advice. Well, let's give some more advice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I think we should at least answer this first one of... Why won't men go through women's bags or purses? With the further details, my boyfriend, even at everyone's convenience, refuses to ever go through my bag. He says his mother trained him that way. Are there others? Is there any real reasoning? I think it's because if to me it feels like it's a very personal thing. It's like you it like to me, I would be like if you just opened up a dude's wallet and just started rummaging through it. I agree with you. I would put the caveat of, if someone asked you, hey, could you go into my purse and grab this, would you? Oh, for sure. I mean, if they asked me to, like, yeah. Yeah. And but I, I'll also admit, like, even if, like, my, my mother was to ask me to grab something out of her purse, it would still feel a bit, a little bit weird to rummage through her purse to grab that thing she specifically asked me for. Yeah, it would feel somewhat invasive. I mean, they're usually, at least the image of them is usually of a place that, like, is has some, is somewhat, is a place of, like, privacy to some degree, though it is odd, but I'm in accordance where it's, like, if somebody asked me to go and get it, I might spend a lot of time run, rummaging around, um, like, because I might not be able to find it right away, depending, but. Depending on the person, the purse may be a disaster zone. Yeah, this is true. I think I just got asked to go to the purse more often than you guys, because I'm like, I I mean, obviously, like you said, it's a kind of a privacy thing. Like, (laughs) don't just rummage, 
just to rummage, but, like, if someone's like, hey, can you get this out of my purse? Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> RJ just RJ's has no pro. boundaries. RJ's a pro at going through purses, dude. I'm a pro, I'm pro at it. I dive into those purses. Look, I'm... <laughs> mother, mother, I apologize. I don't say this to put you on blast. However... Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Well, my... We had a large family, so a normal purse did not do. Like, she had a normal purse to use sometimes on occasions when it was, like, appropriate and she it was more of a, like, specific thing, like, going out or something. But her everyday purse was more of a tote bag, which was necessary considering, like, the number of children she was raising and the hectic life situation of just growing up. But it also meant, like, if you had to go get something out of the purse, you were digging through that purse. Yeah, I feel like there's a line there where it be when it does get to like the tote bag size, I f- do feel like maybe it's not as bad. I think it's the smaller nature of it. Like, yeah, I don't know. I would agree because the smaller nature connotes less space, which means that the items selected would potentially be more important. Um, yeah, and it's like again that more like it's a per- personal thing. I think at the same time, yeah. I think going back to the question a little bit, it is worth noting that. He refuses to ever go through the bag and says that he was trained to like trained not to. Yeah, that's because your your that guy's mom had candy in there and wasn't letting him eat it. Oh damn, Calvin cracked the code. Oh, it's yeah. a secret fact it that is. nearly all purses carry snacks. Somewhere all mothers' it. purses carry snacks. I don't know. I've heard a lot of women who are not mothers carry snacks on them because you know you've well, got they a can. bag that carries they, snacks. They, I, no, I, no, I, I, I'm not saying that if you're not a mom, you can't carry snacks in your purse. I'm just saying every mom's purse, most like, like there's a higher proportion of snacks in mom's purses than yes. non-mom's pur- purses. I, I will agree with that. I don't know, dude. Your your dad's, well, I was just going to say your dad's purse. Uh, hey, you might have a purse. Yeah, I can have a purse. Your dad can I have didn't, a purse. but yours can. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a satchel. Yeah, but no, my dad's equivalent of the purse would be like the uh, the drawer on the passenger side of the uh, of the car. I thought you were about to say the sock <laughs> drawer. Did anybody else's dads no, have like a drawer like... in the dresser that was just the junk drawer? Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just like a ton of shit in there. Yep. Yeah. You guys are weird. Oh yeah. Uh, your dad had to have some place where he stored his general like odds and ends that were valuable to him, but you know weren't actually of any value. Well, yeah, you're gonna give me, you're gonna make me out that on a public I'm forum. Gonna, I'm I'm gonna gonna make you know what you're is, doing. I'm going to make I you see that you through one. your tricks. Denial is ousting enough, my friend. <laughs> I didn't rummage through my dad's personal things. Oh, I absolutely didn't rummage. Didn't. It sounds like you did. See, I might have actually. I, I, like, look at you, I was, look at you guys. Just I was, no I was a boundaries. curious child. No boundaries. Boundaries. You're, we're doing what uh, young men are supposed to do. We're exploring the world. You know what I mean? We're, we're checking out our Manifest destiny. <laughs> exactly. Manifest destiny. That's right. <laughs> uh, we can do one more. Wait. We got time for one more. Can we, uh, though? Do we, though? Uh, dudes, are you uncomfortable when you receive compliments from other dudes? Uh, further details. A dude who wants to give compliments but doesn't want to make dudes uncomfortable. Not, not really. No, I'm. I'm usually. Uh, I. I always feel like I don't uh, handle compliments well. Not in the sense that I like. I think I can be. I can very quickly like brush them off in like a glib way, and it doesn't necessarily like 
the person feel um, like it was actually taken genuinely. Because uh, it is it is somewhat like flattering and yeah no I I, I mean yeah it's always very nice like if, if if a guy genuinely compliments you and it means it means quite a bit yeah I've I I'm not a huge fan of compliments just because like I get self conscious about it and self doubt and all that stuff but like I've at least learned to just be like oh thank you because I do appreciate them I it's a very complex emotional state for me when anytime I get a compliment uh but yeah I just say thanks and like. My problem stems from I, it's, I think it's a, like, environmental thing of, like, how many compliments you hear, or at least for me it's an environmental thing of, like, I don't hear a ton of complimenting happening in general, so I don't want to be the one to start the compliment train. Oh, I see. Because, like, I mean, for instance, there was a, in a work meeting I had today, there was a guy with a pretty cool shirt, like, he had a, he had shorts black t-shirt and like a button up just kind of over the t-shirt he was looking pretty chill for a for a good summer day and i was like i like that outfit that's a good fit but i didn't say anything because nobody else was doing compliments on anybody at all and i didn't want to just like start something no it is odd and it's it's like i would say too that's why it's meaningful when like a guy i think when either you choose to compliment another guy another guy chooses to compliment you because it is one of those things where it's like there is there are connotations to it which suck um but like that's why the gesture itself for me personally is like very well accepted because it's kind of even if it's very quick um it's sort of um it's like a it's kind of like a show of solidarity it's like oh thanks man thank you like a you know maybe you know maybe I actually tried that day and it's like it's not very often that guy kind of gets told they guys get kind of told that they look, you know, nice or whatever. So I still remember a compliment yeah. from over a year ago where I uh, was at a Best Buy wearing a shirt I own that it was has like a, a like simple video game controller logo on it and says uh, like classically trained. I think that's mm -hmm. the one I was wearing. And some kid who was at the Best Buy was like, I like your shirt. And I was like, thanks, kid. Is this like a like a like a fourteen year old no, or something? It was like, or a, like like a the kid mom thing? was at the help desk with her like if I had to guess it was probably like a seven and ten or eleven year old and they like or maybe they were fourteen, oh. thirteen. But like somewhere in that like early tween range complimented my shirt. I was like, Thanks. Don't get me in trouble with your mother. <laughs> so cute. That's awesome. What about you, Calvin? Opinion on compliments? Yeah. Doesn't matter who says them; they're dumb. Compliments are dumb. What? Yeah, I'll fight you on that one. <sighs> Go uh, for it. It's nice to say nice things, Calvin. You can say nice things. It'll make you f feel nice for saying nice things, because pe you make people's no. day brighter. Sure, not me though. Don't say them to me. Can go elsewhere, Calvin. Don't I appreciate your you. company. <laughs> You he left. Oh left. shit! Block him! Block him! Block him! Block him! Block him from the chat. No, I'm not blocking Don't Calvin. I'm hoping in. he comes back before we end. He might not though. Oh my god, that's so. Oh, what a power move to just leave the podcast before we finished. What's a move? Oh, there he is. <laughs> we Fuck. we laud your power move, door, Calvin. What? You left. We we applaud oh. the power move. It was in total solidarity. I, it, I was. That's another compliment. What a what a good power move you just did. That was very fun. I 
yeah, truly, truly the a real alpha, a real sigma. That's move how we right know he's there. the secret host. <laughs> he controls the vertical and the horizontal. <laughs> Fuck, he's got time and space. Um, wait, those are the two. I yeah, don't know. sure. No, wait. I thought fourth, I thought fourth dimension was time. I mean, it is. Fourth dimension, um, but time. like the vertical and the horizontal, I thought was the like adjusting a TV set to get the picture in. Oh, what? I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like old yeah. TV sets. Oh, the rabbit ears. No, before that. Oh, not rabbit ears. It would have been like the dials, like so you could get the picture right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for I sure. hope I'm right on that. I don't know if I am. <laughs> I think I think that's correct. All right, well, close enough. That's the end of our show this week. Thank you. Is it? It though? is. After I finish saying these parting words that I say at the end of every episode. <laughs> but uh, thank you both for joining. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to the audience for listening. We hope you've enjoyed yourself over this last hour and some change. Uh, thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. We're also on social media, Facebook, Better Buddies. We have Meme Mondays, where we post memes, and we post our uh, icebreaker questions for you to answer. On Twitter, at Better Budcast, use the hashtag Better Buddies when you tweet about the show. And our Gmail account, betterbuddiescast at gmail.com. You can send us fan art, hate art, fan mail, hate mail, declarations of love and or war, icebreakers you want us to answer, questions you need advice on, and something else I added last week and can't remember anymore. And last, but not least, be a better buddy. Yeah, I'm ready. Calvin, are you ready? One sec, I gotta pull up my VTubers in the background. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I see how it is. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain. I can't hear you. Because aye, I'm aye, Captain. I'm not responding. I couldn't hear that either. Oh. Didn't you hear me, kids? <laughs> I said I'm deaf. Oh... Oh. I'm a painting. I don't have any goddamn eardrums. How are you speaking? I have lips. Oh fuck. That's um like have the you seen that painting? Oh yeah, that's right. He does have some lips. Some big old human lips. lips. Some human lips. Just shoved and through tongue the painting. and teeth. So you can and assume teeth. there might be vocal cords just on the backside of the painting. That's assuming a lot. Wow, that's horrific. Yeah, it's an Eldritch Horror. Those are the best kind of horrors. <laughs>